I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Rad, Rad Child, Child Podcast. Podcast. All right. Hey, folks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Way to Go and Room to Grow. Uh, We decided to do a little special this month for Black History Month. Um, So we're going to be, uh, yeah, talking about um, some different books that um, either have to do sort of directly with uh, Black history or kind of were a little bit inspired by that idea. Because as we were um, parting the curtain a little bit, we were chatting a little bit before um, the episode and we were talking about how, you know, the idea of history is like history isn't just the past. It's, you know, current and and moving and um, all that jazz. So so yeah, um, before we start today, we actually have a very special guest. Um, so I am going to invite them to introduce themselves before we get started. So uh, if you could just uh, tell us your name, your pronouns, uh, where you're from, um, your relationship with kids, and just a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. My name is Shanice Nicole, and I use she, her pronouns. Um I I currently live in Jojage or Montreal, but I am originally from north of Toronto in a little suburb called Woodbridge, Uh, but I've been here for for over 10 years now, so Montreal definitely feels like home, but I was originally actually born in London, England. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, but I left when I was, like, literally a baby. They were just probably waiting Mm -hmm. for clearance, so I I can't really claim (laughs) that. Um, (laughs) And my relationship to to kids, I am a newly published author of a children's book, um, and I love I love kids. I have lots of little ones in my life, uh, <laughs> so many nibblings. Um, and my brother also recently had a baby, so oh my he gosh, is, fun! Yeah, he's currently the the joy of my life. Also, uh, side note, nibbling is one of my favorite words. It like. Um, for folks who may not be familiar with it, a lot of times people use it either as a uh, like a gender neutral niece and nephew word, or it could just be like kids in your life. Um, but I, it's just a fun word to say, like nibbling. Yeah, totally. <laughs> lots of different kids, and then of course you know different relationships to them as well, which I mm-hmm. think is just so important. And I am forever kind of moved and inspired by children who I think are some of the most you know amazing teachers. So, oh yeah, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, as uh, as a, a nanny, so I nanny two and a half year old twins, and um, cool. I feel like I learn so much from kids all the time. Um, I always joke that I'm going to write a book called "Treat Yourself Like a Toddler." That's just like sometimes Aww. I need to be like Seth. It's bedtime. You need to go to bed. Like mm-hmm. Seth, you just ate. You don't need a snack. Like you know, like I feel like I need to like I learn a lot from from the things they say and do, but also just from like the things that like my relationship to them and I'm like hmm I should treat myself better like this sometimes absolutely that is a a fantastic premise and a fantastic title like I think absolutely write that book (laughs) in my free time (laughs) (laughs) oh my god box publishing house um and I want to I want to give a shout out um Shanice is also the uh author of an excellent essay called teaching children the truth a guide on talking Mm. to kids about race um which I tracked down through the CBC and I just want to kind of call attention to this idea 
Um, Shanice, is it okay if I, if I, if I, if I, yeah, go for it, go for it. Um, I love this because I think it really resonates with our thinking here on the podcast um, and our approach to, to education and having these conversations. Um, The idea of letting go of the one conversation idea Mm -hmm. Um, They also try and let go of, or at least loosen the pressure to explain perfectly. There is no perfect explanation. There is no logical explanation. Um, And just that, that idea that you don't have to get it right in one. It's all, it's impossible to get the conversation right in one take because that's not the nature of the conversation. Like these are ongoing conversations. Mm -hmm. I really just, um, I really appreciated what you had to say in that article and we will absolutely link to it in our show notes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. that was. um, It's funny that just this morning, actually, I was looking, the article itself originally started as, it was a message that I sent to a friend um, who is a parent of a little mm-hmm. one and was kind of asking for some guidance. And so then I decided to turn it into an article, but I was actually going through the messages with that friend this morning. So that's like perfect timing. It's funny. And I, it's funny because I had the same experience, uh, well, similar experience where I, uh, people, because I'm trans, people will always ask me, you know, questions about like, like one that sticks in my mind. is just like, oh, you know, a friend who has kids was like, oh, my, my sons saw a little boy wearing a dress today. And like, I just didn't know, like, and that mm. that's cool with me, but like, I didn't know what to say and like how to have that conversation. And, uh, uh, you wrote an article. I just started a podcast. <laughs> I was like, well, uh, I, you know, I was like, I want people to have the answers to these questions. And also it saves me time because instead of um, having to answer every question, I could just be like, here's the episode about it. Totally. <laughs> and right. I don't have the answer to all of those questions. So I was like, well, I'll find people who do and have those experiences and they can talk about it. And that way they can link to it when someone's like, how do I talk to kids about this? Just Here's the link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and oh it's a gosh. great opportunity, you know, again, for people to return to the conversation and yeah, and not have to kind of, you know, digest everything at once. Um, yeah, totally. So I love I that there's like different, you know, mediums and platforms for us to have yes, these conversations. Absolutely. And also mm-hmm. just because like people like we're all different kinds of learners and we absorb information in different ways. Like it's funny, the, the woman I work for, I listen to a lot of podcasts and um, the woman that uh, the mother of the, the kids that I nanny was like I can't do podcasts like my brain just floats somewhere else like when I have like I'm not an auditory learner and you know she's like more of an article person and like you know that's why we need all these different kinds of works and mediums it's so important um because we forget like once we're out of school we don't think about that but like yeah we're all different kinds of learners we keep learning our whole lives right right and I love the idea that also comes up in this article that about being honest with kids Mm -hmm. if you Mm -hmm. don't know something and, and mm-hmm. doing that research together. Um, and as oh an God. educator. You were made to be on this podcast. This is like literally <laughs> what we talk about all the time. <laughs> as an educator right now, I'm, I'm working with, um, with my team about think about the idea even that like the, the rules are flexible. Like if something's mm-hmm. not working in your community, right. you rewrite the rules and you work together to recreate the rules and you figure mm-hmm. it out together. So I think that's such a powerful mode of parenting as well, like mm-hmm. saying, I don't know this, let's, let's find out and really yeah. modeling that vulnerability and, and that kind of thirst for knowledge. And even for questions that there might not be a direct answer to, like, right, I, you know, I get questions like, does starfish walk that I can just find a video and be like, yeah, they do. 
Mm. Um, it was a really interesting video. It was fun to watch it walk. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then there are questions, you know, about like systematic racism or like, you know, like right. big topics where it's like, uh, we can't just Google it, but it's yeah. still okay to say, I don't know the answer to that. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's really important as adults, as educators, especially like, I think, uh, like when I was a kid, I feel like my parents felt like they needed to have all the answers or act like they had all the answers. Mm-hmm. And, and then I like reached this like age where all of a sudden I realized I was like oh my parents don't know everything (laughs) like they're just Mm -hmm. people and like I think that humanization of like ourselves to children is just like helps us connect with them right of like I'm just a person I don't know everything like grown-ups don't know everything right we're learning just like kids are builds empathy toward all people to Uh understand that soon and early that we're all learners um and empathy but also um um, critical thinking, right? Mm-hmm. So empathy toward people, but it also, um, again, kind of reinforces the idea that rules are not, you know, set in stone, that one person's set of what they're calling facts are not set in stone, there might be more to the story, um, and that all of this needs to be a journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Multiple truths is like my guiding life principle. Um, and so I think it's just so important. And I think it's, it's particularly challenging because we, you know, we're in a society where we, we create these different structures and hierarchies. And so there's like this assumption or, you know, false understanding that adults are experts um, mm-hmm. and therefore know everything. Um, or even like, you know, the experts know everything. Like the experts are also forever, forever learning. And so I think regardless of the topic, that's so important. I do a lot of facilitation work, especially around, like anti-racism and anti-oppression mm-hmm. and um, particularly with educators who are, who are feeling incredibly, I'd say uh, mm. challenged right now um, because of what's coming up in their classrooms and understandably, like they're not trained. Um, no, <laughs> you know, they're not trained for these conversations. Like they're trained in their very particular niche fields. And so we're, we're seeing this kind of across levels or whether we're talking about universities or, elementary school classrooms and so I think it's just such a good reminder of what does it look like to pause and be like hmm like I don't know but we can figure this out together Um, and it's also really tricky I think for educators particularly like my, my background is in art education I used to be a classroom teacher and um I I think it's hard when you're in those circumstances or even like as a nanny, sometimes it's a little bit easier as a nanny because I kind of have the gist of what the family's values are and, and that kind of stuff. But when a question comes up in a classroom, it's hard because sometimes you might know the answer, but you might, you know, like, I don't know if I want to send the kids home with this answer. And then, you know, dep- like I'm thinking of we had a guest once who um, taught Hebrew school. And one of the kids asked what a dildo was. And he was just like, mm. I know the answer to that, but I don't know if these, these parents are going to be thrilled if they come home from Hebrew school with that answer. <laughs> right. right. Um, and so I think it can be tricky to navigate some of these conversations where people might, families might have different values around, around it um, when you're in that kind of position. And I think it's, it's important to stay honest um, but you know, also like another thing we talk about is like giving kids the details, like giving kids what they're asking for and not like a whole, you know, 
you know, your whole dissertation on it. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that's also like not what they're looking for. They just like, sometimes like, uh, we had a guest on recently who, um, uh, uh Kimbo, who's uh, another, uh, nanny. And they were saying that one time they, the kid was asleep and they, um, they had spilled tea on their pants. And so they put their pants on the radiator and they were just like in their, in their boxers. And a kid came down the stairs and was like, what? why you know the kid like had woken up from their nap and just wanted some milk and was like oh why are you wearing underwear like my dad wears um and the and like kimbo was totally caught off guard was just like uh because i like them and they were just like okay can i have milk now like that was it (laughs) like they didn't want you know an explanation on gender identity they were just like why are you doing that okay great milk please um <laughs> uh but anyway i feel i can already tell this is going to be a rich conversation and a great episode because mm-hmm. we're already like uh you, you're great you guys are great <laughs> oh my gosh but um but anyway i guess i will um jump into talking about books um so the first book of my on the nose book of the day, because, <laughs> you know, you know, listeners know that I like I like very um, on the nose books for my topics um, is called the ABCs of Black History. Um, and it is by Rio Cortez, uh, who is a black woman and a poet. And um, it is illustrated by Lauren Semner or Semmer, excuse me, um, who also is a black woman. Um, and it was published uh, recently uh, this year, or excuse me, it's last year now. Oh my gosh, time is flying. Uh, it was published in 2020 by Workman Publishing Company. Uh, and basically, um, it's an, you know, as you can imagine from the title, it's an ABC book about Black history. <laughs> um, I, Rebecca knows, and listeners know, I, I love ABC books. Um, I don't know why. I just, I, I just think like it's, I don't know. I think they're so fun. And I think that like the idea of, Listen, it's a time saver. You're teaching two things at once. You're teaching the alphabet and you're teaching black history. Um, <laughs> so uh, basically, it in the beginning, before the book even starts, there's um, a quote by James Baldwin that I really like that says, history is sort of what we were talking about before, actually. Um, history is not the past. It is the present. We carry our history with us. We are our history. Um, and so I really, you know, we were sort of talking about this earlier, and I really like like that idea and sort of to set um, set the tone of the book. And so I'm just going to read a couple of letters that I particularly liked. Um, and we can chat about it. So D is for diaspora pulled from our homes. We were carried away in ships on, on the foam to Haiti, Cuba, America, Brazil. Our names are different, new, but still we are connected then now forevermore to that long ago, a far away African shore. And there's this like beautiful, um, image of Africa and sort of like, arrows like pointing to different places the illustrations are really lovely um e is for explore to study a place like matthew henson the arctic may jumps in space e is for education for expanding the mind like ruby bridges linda brown and the little rock nine the first black children in all white schools they opened the doors and challenged the rules M is for March, for lifting our feet, taking the movement to the cause to the street. Black lives matter, every breath, every dream, every thought, each idea, each impossible scheme. The might of our message is easy to hear. The drumbeat of hope is louder than fear. And then the last one I'm going to read is U. U is for United States. The story is tough. The birth of a nation was deadly for us. We the people in the land of the free, 
No one who was enslaved would agree. You is for unbroken, unshaken, unbound, like Harriet Tubman, who went underground, took back her freedom and uh, freed hundreds more, um, then was a spy in the Great Civil War. But when the states were united, we... When the states reunited again, the fight for our freedom and lives didn't end. So you is for unfinished. This American tale with courage and strength, we will prevail. So it has this like kind of rhyming rhythm. Um, Love that. And the last one I really, I think you is my favorite. I like the idea of like, in the same way that like history is ongoing. Um, I like this idea that like the work is not finished. Um, and uh, so I like the idea, the sort of rhythm in this book and the idea that there were um uh what am i trying to say like that things have you know changes have been made for for the better but like we're not done yet um and uh just in general so my my way to goes for this book um i really like that um there even within there being like black and brown people in this book like there's a really nice variety of differences in skin tones um like there are like super dark people and super light people and like all you know what i mean like it's not just like one tone with the illustrations and i really appreciate that because i feel like folks um with like darker skin tones aren't always depicted in books even books about black people (laughs) um so i really appreciated that in the um in the illustrations i really like like i said the rhyme scheme was nice like it's always hit or miss with rhyming books um and i think this one kind of hit the mark um and i liked uh it, it talks really frankly about black history but it also like remains hopeful in a way um it wasn't like like i didn't feel like it was airing on the side of like um oh gosh what is the term i'm looking for like bad things happening what is the word I'm looking for? Oh, well, it doesn't matter, I guess. It's like the focus uh, on violence or? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, trauma. That's the word I'm looking for. It doesn't, it didn't focus, I think, on black trauma in the way like where it talked about it, but it didn't like focus on it. Um, like it still talked about like, uh, you know, um, it, it said it in a way like it was saying like, this is what happened, but our, our you know, our work is unfinished or those kinds of things. Um, I, I don't know the way that it. Uh, and and also some of the other choices of of what they used for the letters sort of like remained hopeful, which I appreciated. Um, but it, at the same time, it didn't shy away from talking about the trauma, if that makes sense. Um, I mm-hmm. the another thing I so I this is me like thinking back to my like college days where I really loved in textbooks when the important words would be highlighted, they'd be bolded, so I could just like no, okay, that's the one that's important, and like they would bold all the words, so like in for you for example it was like there was um i'm just going back to my notes here where did it go i'm on the wrong book that's not helpful um like you is for united states so like united states would be bolded and then anything else that started with that letter like you was for unbroken unshaken unbound so like anything that started with that letter was bolded um which i like from a learning perspective i thought was really useful mm-hmm. uh and nice and then um went in w was for writers and they also mentioned rap which i like really appreciated because like rap is an art form (laughs) um and i think often gets left out of um you know talks about like writing and art and so i thought that that was really cool um my only uh sort of room to grow is that some of the choices felt more like kind of generic like a was for anthem um and i was just like i don't know i feel like we could have seen more sort of specific things um but most most of the letters i i sort of i liked but there were a couple that i felt like were a little weaker um than the others that felt a little stronger um 
But I mean, I feel like that tends to happen in ABC books because it's hard. You're thinking mm-hmm. of a lot of things. Um, <laughs> 26 letters, right? <laughs> that's, a lot, that's too many. Um, <laughs> but overall, I I mean, I, I liked it. I would obviously wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't like it. But um, I think it, it's good for um, kind of like starting conversations about things and in that introduction um, to those kinds of topics for, um, you know, in a way that's not too traumatic. Um, because it is traumatic. <laughs> There's yeah. definitely a lot of hard topics in there, but I think it, like I said, it tackles them in not like a gentle way, but a way that like is frank about it, but not like super violent, I guess, in the way that it's being depicted or in the language. Um, so I think it's kind of a good like starter, <laughs> starter pack um, to then maybe go deeper into some of the other sort of themes and topics. Um, yeah. And then the the next one I want to talk about is called You Can Too. Um, and this is by uh, uh, Whitney Gethers, um, who is um, who's a Black woman. And it's illustrated by Cecilia. And oh, gosh, can I pronounce this name? Angriani. I hope I pronounced that right, Cecilia. Um, and she is uh, an Indonesian um, illustrator. Her, her illustrations are so beautiful. Um, and then uh, it was published... Little, uh, a couple of years ago in 2018 by VH or VMH Publishing, which is a hybrid publishing company. Um, and so basically it's just a book of like one page biographies about flame, famous uh, black folks throughout history. Um, some of the folks it includes are Sojourner Truth, who we talked about um, recently, uh, George Washington Carver, Ella Fitzgerald, Maya Angelou, Langston Hughes, Misty Copeland, Barack, Barack and Michelle Obama, Oprah, and then some lesser known folks as well. Um, and it's uh, sort of generally aimed towards uh, black kids. Um, the idea being like, you can too, like they did this thing and so can you. Um, and each page, sort of directly addresses the reader uh like you know do you like art like this person did a thing in art do you like writing this person did a thing in writing um and that's sort of the general rhythm of the book so uh what i my sort of way to go is are there's a, a really great variety of occupations um and uh many that kind of cross gender norms for example like alvin Ailey, um the choreographer um and then uh Catherine johnson who's a mathematician um also they talk about maya angelou and they're saying like do you like poetry like maya angelou did poetry and then the next page is like poetry is for everyone langston hughes was a poet too um so i appreciated that they also sort of like didn't just pick kind of um is you know stereotypical uh gender things and they sort of went out of the box on that um and there was just like a, like i said a lot of variety on the different things that they talked about um as far as different occupations and you could have and things you could do um i really like like i was saying how it asks like do you like this but i like how it's kind of interactive and um kind of engages kids based on things that they like doing um my room to grow is that I think it's, well, it's, I guess it would depend on the kid, right? And like their interest level. I felt it was a little long, but also it's biographies. So you don't have to read them all. Um, I was thinking of like the, oh, what is that book? That's like the Bedtime Stories for Rebel Girls. Is that the name of it? I'm making that up. I don't know. Anyway. Um, I but it's, the title. Like is Rebel Girls, ABC, maybe. Let me look it up. Bedtime Stories. I mean, there's been quite a few kind of listicle style. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's good night stories for rebel girls. I was close. Oh, um, but there's there's been a couple of them. I think there's at least two of them, but they're like those one one page 
um, kind of biography type books where like you wouldn't sit and read the whole book. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of took it more like that where like maybe it is a picture book, but like for, for an older kid, you might be able to read through it. Um, but I think for younger kids, you might, it might even be like, Hey, we're going to learn about this person today. You read it. Um, but you know, if you were going to sit through it, it might be a little bit long. Uh, and the biographies aren't really connected to each other. So there's like not really a flow in the way that like we we've seen in books, like just ask where like each thing kind of connects to each other. Um, so it sort of does serve as like just its individual uh biographies um the only there were two pages that like rubbed me the wrong way a little bit um one of them was uh there they were talking about muhammad ali and um at the end of the page it said just work hard you can do it and i was like working hard doesn't always (laughs) mean that you can do it (laughs) like that's a nice sentiment but that's not true (laughs) um and so that like i was a little bit like i don't know if that's a thing i would say to children um because then they're gonna come to me and be like i worked hard and i still didn't get the part in the play or i worked hard and i still didn't get an a or i worked you know so like um yeah that just like to me needed a little bit of breaking down like if i read that to a kid i would be like "Hmm, do you think that's true (laughs) um and then the other thing was so I was talking uh my wife my wife oh I'm sorry so I was just gonna say it's a little bootstrappy right like it kind of feeds into that narrative of like yeah you just you just work hard and you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and and do it yeah yeah yeah. and then so there is a page about Serena Williams and I so my wife is my um consultant and I was reading this to her and complaining about it and um she was saying that this is actually a quote from her which made me like I was like Okay, but I still don't know that like that needed to be in here. Um, but basically, it's saying that at the end of the page, it's like it goes to show that you don't always have to be the first, but you can always strive to be the best. And I'm like, I don't know that like being the best is like again something that I want to like put on kids. Um, mm. But she was she was essentially saying that like you know they were like that people were focusing too much on like you know oh being the first black woman to do this or the first you know she was like you know, saying that, you know, it doesn't matter to her. If she's the first, she just wants to be the best, um, which is good for her. But like, again, I don't know if that's a sentiment that I want to, uh, like that being the best or winning is like the most important thing. That's how it kind of came off to me. Um, but again, like, like I always say with stuff like this, it's like, you can either read it and kind of break that down with your kids and talk about it and be like, hmm, do you think like being the best is the most important or just like doing it because you like it or whatever. Um, or you could just change the words if you don't like them. <laughs> read some, just don't read it. Or um, I, with younger kids, right. Uh, because older kids can see that you're not reading the words and they're like, why did you skip that? Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> I've definitely been caught on that before uh, during story times. Um but uh but yeah so i mean there's like two minor things overall i really like this one um i think it's great for uh you know like just again sort of introducing kids to um different different people in history and i like that they sort of they did go with some of the more you know well-known people but then there are some lesser known people as well um which i appreciated um, there's I just wanted to also shout out quickly there's another book very similar to this a little bit shorter called look what brown can do um, and that's by T. Uh, T. Murray Harris uh, illustrated and, and um, authored by T. Murray Harris and that was published earlier in 2015 but that's a, a good alternative to this book if you're looking for something a little shorter that does the same thing basically um, so I just kind of wanted to shout that one out because there are, I mean I'm sure these are not 
the only two books doing this also um but those are the the two that i that i liked um i think it's sweet that um that the sorry that the children or that the characters in this in the you can too are presented as as children Mm -hmm. like dressed like grown-ups right like kind of dressed in the garb of what for most of them it appears like kind Mm -hmm. of what whereas the adult version of themselves so Mm -hmm. that was a sweet um kind of design choice yeah, um, no, thank you for I, that I I've listened to too many true crime podcasts and like live, <laughs> but I and and so this I I maybe this is a I I should maybe do my homework more before I say this, but I feel like Johnny Cochran is an interesting choice for the upholding the law and fighting for justice in some ways. Um, but uh, maybe that's for another podcast. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I I agree that it was an interesting choice. A complicated choice for yeah. that for that um that right. theme in my mind. I have to just yeah, Google I, who that is, and now I pardon? understand what you're. I have to just Google who who that is, and now I understand oh, what you're talking about. Sorry, Johnny Cochran <laughs> yeah. is the um yeah. was the defense attorney for O.J. Simpson. Yes. Um. Yeah, I do think that that's a complicated and an interesting choice, and I think they're. Are definitely other black lawyers who exist um so or, yeah or fight for justice right yes. like yeah um so yeah i i didn't that you know i didn't even clock that um so thank you for so bringing that up yeah i think that is it's an just interesting the first choice. one that pops up in the um like i'm, I'm just looking yes, online it's the first page that's why yeah yeah um yeah so that's that yeah that's really interesting but he's very about cute that. with his little suit on and his purple tie. <laughs> his little tie. <laughs> I have a lot of have a lot to positive things to say as well. Um, yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I again, I think that's something that you maybe you just skip that page, or maybe you break it down with kids. You know, depending on what. Or you 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 talk about the complicated. Yeah, exactly. You talk about it, or maybe you research other black. Maybe that's a time to say, hey, let's research other black lawyers and like things that they've done right um so i definitely think that it's always you know depending on what fits best um for you know the situation uh that you're doing you know whether you're reading it to your own child or you're reading it to a classroom or whatever um but i think there's definitely we also if you go on our on our uh, on www.radchildpodcast.com if you go into the blog section if you scroll all the way down to i think it's the first uh, or the second blog post there is we actually um, I wrote an article on sort of like what to do if there's problematic parts of books or if you have a problematic children's book so there's also some different kind of solutions like what we talked about there um, I think my favorite one was my one of my friends had a book in French I can't remember the name of it but it's like about a little wolf family and the family has either two moms or two dads I don't remember um, but unfortunately it's it's one of the very few kind of queer children's books in the French language and she was like, yeah, except there was one spread where they were playing like cowboys and Indians in full like appropriative garb. So mm-hmm. I just glued those pages together. <laughs> I, like, I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So there, yeah, there's uh, all, all that to say, there's definitely like things you can do, um, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of uh, either just totally ignore things or have conversations about them or, you know, change things. Right. Like my, my favorite, um, an anecdote about that was when I was reading, uh, was it Sleeping Beauty? And like, I just didn't even, th- it was like one of my first times babysitting. Uh, and I was like, oh, I'll bring this like anthology of, uh, you know, um, fairy tales that I had from when I was a kid. 
and I started reading Sleeping Beauty and we got to the end and I was like, Ugh, like, I don't I don't like that. Like he just kisses her while she's asleep without consent and then they get married the next day. So I was just like, oh, and then uh, and then he like gently shook her on the shoulders and she <laughs> woke up and uh, and then they, you know, they just des- they decided they liked each other. So they dated for a couple of years and they decided marriage was right for them. So they got married. <laughs> I just like totally like made this story up <laughs> oh my gosh so, like that's also especially with younger kids like you can do that they can't read um <laughs> but anyway uh so i guess i will i'll move on to my my next book um which is uh counting on Catherine: how Catherine johnson saved apollo 13 um and that is by uh, helene becker and it is illustrated by um dao pumirak uh, and it was uh, published a couple of years ago in 2018 by Henry Holt. Um, and so a lot of people are probably um, familiar, more familiar now uh, with Katherine Johnson um, since uh, Hidden Figures came out. Uh, but basically it's a narrative biography about her. Um, and she, she was a, a black woman and like a wildly exceptional mathematician. I was reading this book and I was like, oh my God, she went to high school when she was 10 um <laughs> like just wildly smart wow. uh and she she worked for nasa and so basically it sort of starts uh when she's a kid which again like i like that kind of connection um with with kids where we're sort of starting not when she's like an adult already um but so it starts when she's a kid and you know it sort of like talks about her love of numbers and how she kind of excelled at school went to high school when she was 10 like i was talking about um and then it goes on to talk about how she she became a teacher because there were no jobs really for women um as mathematicians at that time and then nasa you know kind of um was one of the first uh places to be like hey we'll you know we'll take women and we'll take black women uh as mathematicians and so eventually she ended up calculating the numbers that saved apollo 13 is sort of the uh, summarized version of that story um and so i'm just gonna read uh a little excerpt which is the the beginning of the book um catherine loved to count she counted the steps to the road the steps up to church the steps the number of dishes and spoons she washed in the bright white sink the only thing she didn't count were the stars in the sky only a fool she thought would try that even so the stars sparkled her imagine sparked her imagination what was out there um so it sort of starts talking about like it has this rhythm of like talking about counting where like you know it talks about how she was physically counting things and then it has um i really like that they uh there's this refrain of like you can count on me um throughout the book but it's like not overdone it's just like a couple of times sprinkled in there like if you weren't looking for it you probably wouldn't notice um but uh at one point like when she when she's 10 and she's ready to go to high school there's no there's only an all-white high school in her neighborhood and so her dad is like you can count on me and he you know is able to work hard and save money and move them to a neighborhood with a black high school um and so and then at some point she's in nasa and she's doing something and you know she's like you can count on me so i like the idea of like the counting but also in the sense of like you can count on me um i thought was cute and uh also i just loved like yeah i love a book about a black woman who's a mathematician like since there's already such a stigma against like women you know and girls not being good at math um so i just I love that this book exists. Um, And again, like I was saying earlier, I appreciate that it starts when she's younger so that like it can connect with, you know, young readers of like, like, you know, everyone starts out as a kid. Um, And uh, what's I going to say? Yeah, I guess those are my, my sort of way to goes. Uh, The only room to grow I have is that unfortunately it's not an own voices book. The author is white. Um, And so uh, I do, you know, I always try to, 
um we strive to recommend own voices books um and so i was like a little a little bummed out when i found out it was not um but that's that's sort of my only other than that i think it's really well done um yeah so i don't know if y'all have any thoughts feelings about that before i move on but um i would say all of the books you've recommended have seem to be really beautifully designed and illustrated, mm-hmm. but I do really, I, I really like the, I'm drawn to the illustrations in this book. Um, yeah. As kind of a, kind of a Sophie Blackall kind of, um, who did like the lighthouse and, mm-hmm. um, and big red lollipop, uh, kind of an energy to the illustrations. Um, and I, and, uh, so I really like the art in this particular book. And then also at the end, in the back matter, I really like this idea. Um, oh gosh, how do I get to it? It says something about um, that not only did she have to crunch the numbers, but she also had to rely on intuition. And there was mm. this like this balance of of okay, it says it says um, her role, however, always involved more than mere number crunching. It relied heavily on hunches. By letting her imagination run free, Catherine developed a key backup navigation system that used the stars as guideposts. So mm. I like that kind of that um, steam idea that like creativity and imagination is also like critically important to our yeah. STEM um, yeah. our STEM disciplines. I love so that. It's a nice, totally. nice messaging there. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think a lot of times, like, you know, we see all the time that, you know, the arts are not seen as being as important um, as, uh, you know, those kind of other, you know, like math and science and those kinds of things. Um, And I think that, like, it's it is nice to incorporate into a book that, like, they very much intersect. um, And it's very, you know, they are kind of reliant on one another, right? If you can't, if you can crunch numbers, but can't think outside of the box, you know, it's like, it doesn't, you know, she wouldn't have been able to do that. um, All the work that she did. So yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. I guess I'll move on to my last book, and then I promise I'm done. Um. I just had a lot for this this theme. Um. So the last book that I wanted to talk up is called um, Beautiful Shades of Brown. Um. Uh, uh, and it is about um. So the subtitle is It's Beautiful Shades of Brown: The Art of Laura Wheeler Waring. I believe it's her last name. Yeah. Uh, Waring. And it is by uh, Nancy Chernin, and it's illustrated by Felisa Marshall. Um, so Nancy Chernin is a white woman, and Felisa, Felicia Marshall, who's the illustrator, is a black woman. Um, and it was uh, published pretty recently in 2020 by Creston Books. And it's basically um, this really lovely uh, narrative uh, biography about Laura Wheeler Waring, who is an African-American artist who lived uh, from 1877 to 1948. Um, and so it, you know, it starts when she's a little girl and she loves to paint portraits of her family members. And basically she, you know, eventually she goes to art school and uh, she ends up studying in Paris. And uh, then, you know, eventually she she's asked um, by the Heyman Foundation to build a collection of portraits about important African-Americans. Um, so it's sort of this... Uh, uh, you know, it's not like this very exciting, riveting story. It's like a pretty simple um, biography, but it's just like really beautiful. The illustrations are like gorgeous. They're like paint paintings um, and they're like a- absolutely gorgeous. Um, and so it's, I'm just going to read a little um, sort of the excerpt from the beginning of the book and then an excerpt from the end of the book. 
Um, So the book starts, Laura loved the color brown. She loved her mother's chocolate-colored hair, her father's caramel coat, and all the different browns in the cheeks of her younger brother, sister, and brothers. Some languages have 50 words for snow, she thought. There should be 50 words for brown. It was hard to get each shade right. Laura dabbed a spot of paint on her skin. It didn't match at all. Not until she added some red and yellow. Maybe you didn't see brown in a rainbow, but brown was a rainbow, with orange and blue, red and green tucked inside, playing hide-and-seek. Ooh, um, I love that. Right, it's really yeah. gorgeous. There's there's also a book called that remi- that that specific excerpt reminded me of called Black as a Rainbow Color, um, mm. that sort of has the same uh, the same kind of idea that like black as a rainbow, and I just like I love that idea. And also as a painter, I was like, yes, like in order <laughs> to make colors, you need to add all these weird colors you wouldn't think you add to them. <laughs> um, uh, so I like I appreciated that also from like a painting point of view um and then it sort of so at the end um when she has this um uh her paintings of all these famous african-americans up in the gallery um the end of the book says people flocked to see Laura's paintings as they traveled uh, around the country after the tour the Smithsonian Institution in Washington DC hung Laura's paintings in the National Portrait Gallery now her portraits weren't hidden in her bedroom but hung in gilt frames on the wall of a real museum uh, now everyone could see the rainbow shining through each tone of brown and children like her nieces and nephews could see the fa- faces like theirs and how beautiful they were. Um, so, so yeah, I just, uh, I really, I really love this book. Um, I, what? I'm reading my notes and I'm like, I have no idea what I meant. Mm. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I really like, first of all, that like, it's, a book about some someone who's kind of like at least I had never heard of her before um before I saw this book so I appreciate that like while it's nice to have you know biographies about Harriet Tubman and you know all all these kind of you know Barack Obama and sort of more well-known folks I think it's nice to learn about people that we don't know a ton about um or that kind of aren't in the mainstream um and uh when it uh so when it talks about her like in the beginning she she has she hangs up all her paintings in her house like she has does portraits of all of her family members and her siblings and uh when it talks about she like she's talking about dreaming of her paintings being in a museum and how um you know that was quote unquote a crazy idea at the time which we all know how i feel about the word crazy i could use a different word um (laughs) but uh but you know that it was like you know, a really, um, really, a, you know, quote unquote crazy idea for the time for an African American girl at that time to like want to have her paintings in a museum, right? Um, and so when they're talking about that, um, they talk about, uh, you know, they sort of mention segregation in the sense of how it relates to like it being difficult to get her paintings in the museum. So I like that they're like, Again, they're like mentioning what's going on historically, but it's not like a whole book about segregation, um, if that if that makes sense. But they're not just like not talking about it, right? Um, and then uh, it also also in the book there um, they mention um, uh, Marian Anderson, who was uh, a singer and at the fir- at the time, and she was the first Black woman to to be invited to sing at the White House, um, and because like she she was one of the people that she painted, um, like she really liked her and basically was like, can I please paint you? Um, and uh, I I liked that it looped in sort of another figure in history as well by talking about her and and not just saying like oh she painted a bunch of people, but like specifically talking about um, painting her. The illustrations, like I said, are just like oh my gosh I would hang them on my wall they're like so beautiful so painterly and like it just really makes sense for 
talking about a painter to have these like beautiful painterly um, images. Uh, mm. And then the back of the book, they have pictures of all the actual portraits she painted um, with information about them, which I thought was so cool. Um, so you could see, right, the illustrator's take on it, but then what it really, really looks like. Um, again, uh, this, this again, is not an own voices book. So um, I, I talked already talked about for my room to grow. I'm, I don't like the word crazy. It's ableist could have found another word to use um and then you know like i said before it, it's like it's a pretty straightforward story it's not like action-packed um but like not everyone's life is action-packed i think that's okay um and it's still interesting in that right it does have you know an arc of like we you know we follow her and her accomplishments and what she does um but uh but yeah if if you're looking for like the most action-packed stories might not be it um but uh but yeah i really i like this book i think it's nice to like honestly i i don't think and this is a lot about the education system i don't know that i ever learned about like a black artist period in my education at school and i have a minor in art history um so like that's wild to me we talked last week about just the limitations of of art education and even Mm -hmm. about the types of models that are used and the types of Tony, that one white man model we had the whole time I was in college. (laughs) Whose stories are privileged and whose art, whose, you know, which artistic styles are privileged, what you learn about the human body and what's privileged, Mm -hmm. normalized. Yeah. 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 It's, it's just like, art, my, yeah, my whole art, art education was uh, interesting to say the least. Mm. (laughs) I was talking about for like some context last Last um, week we were, I don't even know how this came up, but I was talking about my, um, uh, the fact that we only ever had white models in school. And I had, I, I went to art school in Pennsylvania, uh, where it's primarily white. And uh, I, at one point, I was, I needed to draw a character for something and the character uh, was a person of color. And I sat down and was like, I've never drawn a person of color before. Like I'm like 25. I went to art school. And that was never like, that's wild to me that anyone like that, that happened, right? Like that, you know, we never, like I said, we never had any models of color. We never, you know, and, and so after that, I, I basically, um, I was living in New York at the time in New York city. And I basically (laughs) would just like, you know, I'd be on the train and I just see, you know, someone who like sparked my interest visually. And I'd be like, Hey, can I take a picture of you and paint a portrait of you? If that's not weird. And like, (laughs) New York is such a ridiculous place that like, everyone said yes except for one person i asked like 50 people and i just started like doing a portrait series of like all people of color so i could like learn how to draw all different kinds of people and all different ages of people and sizes of people because i was like in school they never made us do that which is like wild (laughs) um and i'm remembering what sparked it for us was the um all the controversies about the magazine covers and lighting and styling um black women Mm mm-hmm Um, And how poorly that that is done by some of our most kind of renowned photographers. Um, Yeah, it needs to needs some attention drawn to it and needs some some changes made. Yeah, for sure. Particularly in this world of social media, when the visual, you know, visual medium is so much more kind of prevalent. Yeah, totally. Wide, wide ranging. 
And this is like, I think it's also important, like, to talk to kids about these kinds of things that are going on in the world. And like, also, we were talking, uh, you know, about privilege last week, and like the idea of like, you know, it's a privilege to be, you know, um, to, you know, go to a to be one of those, you know, famous people who's going to get themselves styled and like, the stylist knows, you know, is styling you well, right? Like, that's, that's privilege. Um, and even like we were when we were talking about the art world, right? Like, like the fact that I'm learning, you know, only about one kind of artist, right? Like, and th- like, think about, you know, going to school and not learning about any artists that look like you, right? Um, and so I think it's always important to like, bring that conversation of privilege and, and like, talk to kids about current events and things that are going on like this, like, they get it. They're smart. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. But anyway, Rebecca, I'm interested to hear about your books. Okay. I have two books that I want to share today. And both of them I ended up researching and putting in our our shift book box. Um mm. our round two, our year two shift book box um for this month, the month of February, um, which I called celebrating um black change makers. Um, and one is a story that features um, Kamala Harris, our vice president. And the other um, is a story that features um, Jean-Michel Basquiat, um, mm. the New York-based artist whose work is the, has um, been the highest, has, how do you say this? You should tell me this, Seth, you have the art background. <laughs> um, Basquiat's work has sold... He has the record for having the most expensive um, piece of art. Like single painting or piece single of art. painting to sell um, in the uh, United States, like a, like an American-based artist. wild. He sold for the most, I think it was like 10, 10 point something million. That's um, most wild. Recently. I wish my art would sell for 10 point something right? million. Um, <laughs> And I, so I found this book because I did, I was putting together a list of, um, a list of books to share with my son's school. His principal reached out to me um, about some books that they could share during Black History Month Mm -hmm. and throughout the year. Um, And also I shared it with my staff. And so I wanted to find books that featured, um, right, like Black Joy, right? So stories that Mm -hmm. were not uh, stories of um, kind of oppression and, also stories that featured, of course, those like intersections of, you know, artists and scientists and, you know, student activists. So all of those kind of inspiring things that, that a, a, a class could build lessons around and have really rich conversations around. And so I found, I, I stumbled upon this book, um, Radiant Child, the story of young artist Jean-Michel Basquiat, and it's written by Javaka Steptoe. And um, this book, it was the Caldecott Medal winner. It was published in 2016, so it won the Caldecott Medal in 2017, I'm imagining. And it also won the Credit Scott King um, Medal. Mm. So it was a very highly acclaimed story. Um, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And so um, the art is, um, Steptoe does not, did not have access to any of Basquiat's uh, actual art and Mm -hmm. he knew that that was going to be a kind of a not a limitation because I think it actually ends up being a strength but he knew that that was going to be a confining factor that he was not going to have access to to replicating or um, representing the artist's actual work Mm -hmm. so instead what he did was his um, interpretation of the artist's work 
and mm-hmm. used all sorts of found materials because um, Basquiat was a an artist who grew up in Brooklyn and um, used did a lot of street art um, mm-hmm. and then also um, so he has kind of a like a graffiti street art style to some of his work um, which he put he put out at one point under the under the handle Samo um, which was um, uh, uh, stood for like same old shit. Um, but I, I could go into a, all the research that I did. I'll try to was <laughs> actually in this text. But, um, so the, the book, it, the art in the book itself is, uh, is created on like wood planks that, um, that Steptoe like fished out of like dumpsters. So he, he incorporates a lot of the actual like grit of New York City, like of Manhattan and of Brooklyn into the art itself. Um, and all, he works in collage, so there's like a lot of depth and texture to his work. And he really does capture um, capture uh, Basquiat's like essence. Sorry, I totally bit, knocked right? over my microphone. My bad. <laughs> I know you're so excited about everything that I'm saying. <laughs> Ooh, Basquiat! <laughs> Two um, artists in one episode, right? Um, but then the cool thing is, so I, I'm, I'm going to try to weave all this together and not just go completely off the rails, but okay. So <sighs> where to start? Um, Javaka Steptoe is an artist and author of children's books. And he is, um, I want to start by just talking a little bit about him because he is legacy, right? So his father, John Steptoe, is the like Caldecott medal winning children's book author who started his, who published his first book, Stevie at the age of 18. He started it when he was 16 years old. Um, and he went on to publish, or he went on to illustrate 16 picture books, 12 of which he authored and illustrated. Wow. He won the Caldecott Medal for Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, mm-hmm. which may be his, his most kind of well-known work. Um, but he also wrote um, the story of Jumping Mouse, which got a Caldecott honor. He wrote Daddy is a Monster Sometimes, which is um, a Reading Rainbow book. Um, I believe Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters might have also been a Reading Rainbow book. So he like really changed the, the landscape of, of picture books when he was writing um, in the 1980s uh, and maybe 70s. I, let me think about when the first, um, okay, no, Story of Jumping Mouse was in 85. Mufar's Beautiful Daughters was 88. Um, so he might've started in the late 70s being published, but his main body of work came out in the 80s. And um, he passed away far too young. He passed away at the age of 38. Oh, my gosh. Um, and uh, but his work has absolutely changed the face. Like and today, still today, change, has changed the face of children's children's books. Um, and so um, Javaka is his his child. And mm. Javaka originally as a child was John Steptoe's like you know, a model for his books, right? Like he would, he would uh, pose um, for his, for his father. And so he just kind of has always been steeped in this world. Um, He also shares, but he lost his father quite young. 
Mm. Um, And he also shares in the back of Radiant Child that something that he shares, we're talking about Javaka now, but something that Javaka shares with Jean-Michel Basquiat is that both of them have a mother who, um, uh, I think the language he uses is that they both um, struggled with mental illness. So um, that he just, it's, he is like just this incredible artist who has had this um, profound life and has, you know, just produced his own incredible work and Radiant Child won the Caldecott Medal. And as I mentioned, the Credit Scott King Award. So mm. um, he is highly acclaimed um, himself. So that's a little bit about Javarka Steptoe. Um, something that I was excited to realize. So I, I devoured this book and dove <laughs> really deeply into kind of the research about um, Javarka Steptoe and then also about Jean-Michel Basquiat. And when I... Um, when I looked up the artist Basquiat, I realized that I was more familiar with his work than I, than I realized I had been. It was Mm -hmm. not actually a name that I knew off the top of my head, which again, um, my own personal failings, the failings of my education. Um, but I immediately recognized his art and I thought to myself, I I have a book illustrated by this person on my bookshelf <laughs> at home. So it oh turns out he the only picture book, um, the only picture book that um, Jean Michel Basquiat like kind of informally illustrated is called Life Doesn't Frighten Me at All. Um, mm-hmm. It is his artwork paired with a poem by Maya Angelou. And it was published in 1990, 1993. And it has Basquiat's like signature kind of dragon creature and his signature crown on the cover. Um, and so I realized that my mom has this book on her bookshelf. Oh my gosh. I was like, well, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if we have a first edition. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I have to dig this book up um, because I actually have more, you know, I, I've been appreciating this artist for much longer than I actually realized I had been. Uh, so anyway, that might not you? be. Rebecca, can you just repeat the name of the book? Um, the, the Maya Angelou book mm-hmm. is Life Doesn't Frighten Me. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's a poem. And so they, they paired it with his art. Um, so he didn't, he didn't um, illustrate it in a formal way, right? Like they didn't, he didn't sit down and, as far as I can tell from my research, he, they just took his art and applied it to the phrases. It's not that mm-hmm. he sat down and generated art on the poem. Um, it was a pairing um, done by Stuart Tabori and Chang, um, conceived and edited by Sarah Jane Boyers um, and published in 1993. So there's, that's like a double recommendation. So first of all, I, I recommend <laughs> that people track down, it doesn't frighten me. And then I also recommend that people track down Radiant Child, which I will dive a little bit into now after that very long and personal <laughs> and convoluted preamble. Um, and so this book, like the end papers have these kind of um, these scribblings that are, that are very evocative of Basquiat with like his, again, his kind of dragon figure and his crown 
and um, just kind of forms and shapes and kind of his scribble style. Um, and then it begins with this, this portrait of him kind of presented as street art with the, the same um, handle on the side. Um, and um, there's a little bit of front matter about the book where Steptoe talks about gathering materials from around Manhattan and Greenwich Village and Brooklyn and um, kind of the work that he did to create the art. Um, and I'm gonna just read the first couple of pages. It says, somewhere in Brooklyn, between hearts that thump, double dutch and hopscotch and salty mouths that slurp sweet ice, a little boy dreams of being a famous artist. And every time artist is written in um, kind of like handwriting, like um, block mm. letters. So everything else, you're know, typed out in a, in, a, in a font and then the artist is written in a more bold way. And you see this rich scene kind of, um, you know, these kind of brownstone looking buildings with the front stoops and students or children jumping rope and, and children getting ice, like shaved ice from someone with a, like a street cart. And then you see kind of a picture that looks like you're getting the inside of a child in his room um, sitting at a desk and, and very deeply engaged in, in, in working on his artwork while all of this is kind of going on outside. And it says, in his house, you can tell a serious artist dwells as he sits at a table with pencils scattered everywhere Jean-Michel draws from morning until night with a serious face amid a storm of papers. He refuses to sleep until he has created a masterpiece. Um, and what I love about this is that he has a very distinctive style that is very kind of outside the lines and a lot of texture um, in kind of his forms. Like there's a lot of drawing over and over and over. Um, so a child looking at this spread of what he is producing might see their own kind of selves in the art he's creating, um, like something that they could quote unquote do. And I love that mm, that is paired that. with this very matter of fact, like you can tell that a serious artist lives here. Like this is serious. <laughs> like this is art. Um, so I really appreciate that. Um, and um, it talks about, you know, his drawings are not neat or clean, nor does he color inside the lines. They are sloppy, ugly, and sometimes weird, but somehow still beautiful, which if you look, if you look up his images online, like that's exactly, <laughs> like, you could not describe like Basquiat's style better than that. Like that's just like, it's exactly right. Um, talks about the role, the relationship that he has with his mother and like the supportive, like the support that she gives him as an artist and kind of the beautiful home that he creates um, and where they find art like in the city and the way that he kind of looks, like looks at the world around him and just sees blocks of color and, and sees art. One of my favorite lines is, Art is the street games of little children and our style and the words that we speak. It is how the messy patchwork of the city creates new meaning for ordinary things. 
Um, so this this book is just a poem. It's mm. it's beautiful. Um, it, it they talk about it talks about um, Basquiat and his mother visiting a museum, and because he like he was an artist from a very young age. He was enrolled in the Brooklyn Museum as like a junior, you know, junior ranger kind of uh, child intern in one in their art classes. Um, and just talks about his home life um, and um, an accident that he gets into and how his mother brings him the book Gray's Anatomy, which is really ins- like an inspiring moment for him. Like he's very young. He's hit by a mm. car and his mother brings him like a very sophisticated text about the body, which inspires both his art, but also his understanding of like his healing. Right. So she brings him something very sophisticated to, uh, to understand his body and what's happening in his body after this car accident. Mm, I love that. Um, and wow. uh, it does talk about his, um, his mother does end up becoming institutionalized. So she leaves home um, and talks about his heart breaking because of that. And in my deep dive into him, it does seem like this this timeline's a little bit kind of condensed, so it, it seems that his parents did um, divorce, and his mother mm. his mother experienced um, a deep bout of depression, um, particularly, but maybe not only following the divorce. Um, mm-hmm. So that was also a really profound experience in his childhood, um, because she ends up, um, I believe, living perhaps the remainder of her life um, not with him. Yeah. Um. And it talks about, you know, the, his struggles to kind of produce art after that time, but also the time that, that he spends with her, um, visiting her. Um, he tells her that, he, that one day it will, his art will be in a museum when I'm a famous artist. Um, and then it, it talks, it goes into kind of his, his shift from um, living at home to moving to Manhattan, um, the Lower East Side. And again, this is kind of the story just kind of talks about it in um, just the, what am I going to say? Like just the touchstone moments. Um, I think in fact, he dropped out of high school and his father actually kicked him out of the house is actually mm. the what happened here. Um, but this kind of frames that as his own kind of embarking on a new phase of his art. Um, he sleeps on couches and floors and creates art wherever he goes um, he beca- becomes a street artist, um, and everyone wants to know who it, who he is. Um, and, and then it talks about the shift from street corners to art gallery walls, and uh, and the work that he does as kind of a, a more recognized artist. Um, and um, ultimately, the story ends with. Uh, the idea that at his most important shows, like the art world is all in his hands and he still visits his mother and she is still the most important person to him and at his art shows sits um, in the place of honor. Um, It says, um, at his most important shows, above all the critics, fans, and artists he admires, the place of honor is his mother's, a queen mm. on a throne. He is now a famous artist. Aww. And that's how it ends. I that's love lovely. that. Yeah. And the art is so gorgeous. 
Oh yeah. And the back matter, um, you do get a little more, um, more information, like a deeper kind of um, chronology of his life. Uh, it talks about the motifs and symbolism in his work. And then there's a note, a note from um, Javaka Steptoe about um, kind of becoming familiar with his work as a high school student and, and a college student and kind of following, following him. Um, and it says at the end, it wasn't until much later at an exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum in 2005 that I truly understood how much his work meant to me. It made me realize that I wanted to help young people connect with his art the way that I had. Mm. And so he created this amazing book. Um, and there's actually a little bit more about, about like I said, about, um, he says, as someone whose mother suffers from mental illness, I believe that story touches on an important topic. Um, and he wants to, you know, kind of, be a bridge and a catalyst for, for conversation and healing. Um, yeah. So that's, I, I, I really highly, highly recommend this, this book. Um, it is absolutely gorgeous and it, it really shines a light on an artist that is still underknown. I mean, obviously in critical circles and art circles is very well known, but, yeah, um, but just as a household of, name. Yeah. Yeah. It's not necessarily a household name um, for young students and young artists. So that's radiant, radiant child. And the story I, of young artist Jean-Michel Bastiat. I think like, it's so funny too, like what you were talking about, how you had that book your whole life and like, didn't even, you know didn't even like click right because like how could you know but it's funny when I I was teaching eighth grade at one point and we were doing we're learning about Van Gogh who everybody knows about but eighth graders don't and uh I I you know the next day one of my kids came in and was like we have one of his paintings in my house I didn't even know and was like so excited about it but it's so funny like how much art we see all the time and we don't even like think you know think about it um but you know, it's, it's like, it's there and someone made it. <laughs> right. And the stories of who made it, um, mm-hmm. are really powerful. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Yeah. Which is also why I love to highlight the stories of the authors and creators mm-hmm. of these books. Well, they're right? artists too. Oh yeah. The hundred percent. But it, and it's like, um, I just think it's such a, like, I think part of appreciating a picture book is kind of knowing the like a, a little bit about the creator, right? Yeah, absolutely. I um, appreciate that you do that work. <laughs> I'm I'm a really bad researcher. Rebecca's the researcher. And I try to research, <laughs> I find like unrelated, like one of the illustrators that I was um, uh, from one of the books this week, I don't remember which one I was, because I'm not a good researcher. Um, I was looking up and like the closest thing I could find to anything about her was like her Instagram page. And it took a long time to find, I was just, and maybe that was just one person who doesn't have a lot, like doesn't have a website or whatever, but I'm like, I just well, then I appreciate. What you have to do is, is read through the entire Instagram page and all the posts <laughs> and all the comments. <laughs> well, I, all this to say, I appreciate your research. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have one more story to, sh- to share with you guys. Um, and Shanice, I appreciate your patience as we. Yeah, no, it's so great to hear all these recommendations and writing them down. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so this one, as I mentioned, features a young Kamala Harris, um, and it is called Kamala and Maya's Big Idea. 
and it is written by Mina Harris, who is the niece of Conala and the daughter of Maya. And it's illustrated by Ana Ramirez Gonzalez, who we also have waxed poetic about on this podcast because she is the illustrator of Maybe Tomorrow, mm-hmm. which is a book I that we love. I love that book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she is someone, um, so I'll just say, I'm going to quote myself a little bit from my discussion <laughs> back to this book. Um, so Mina Harris is a the founder of Phenomenal Women Action Campaign um, and also studied or I don't know you say studied to be in it. She is a not not a practicing attorney, but she has a law degree. Um, so she is a she went to law school as well. Um, her grandmother, um, or you know, Kamala Harris's mother is the civil rights activist and scientist Shyamala Gopalan Harris. Her mother, Maya Harris, is a campaign policy advisor, um, I believe both for Hillary Clinton and then also for Kamala, um, the former head of the ACLU of Northern California, um, and just a total powerhouse. And then, of course, <laughs> her aunt, uh, who is the first Black attorney general in California, um, the first woman of South Asian heritage elected to the Senate and is mm. the first woman, the first black person and the first person of South Asian heritage to be elected vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris. Yes. Um, so um, Mina Harris, reflecting upon all of these incredible women um, in her life. Um, so she grew up in a household, I believe, with Maya and her grandmother, um, because she Maya had her quite young and then went on to study at Stanford and, and go to law school and do all of these things. And I think that so her grandmother, Mina's grandmother, played a strong role in raising her. Um, but the, it was just this household of of amazing women. Um, and so I can just picture it. It makes me think of like Thanksgiving sitting in the kitchen with my aunt and my older cousins and just listening to them talk and listening to you know, all of the things that were on their minds and the cultural <laughs> touchstones that they were referring to and what movie they were going to go to at the end of, you know, the holiday weekend and just like sopping all of that up. Um, I imagine that was Mina's life too, just surrounded by these women doing all these amazing things all the time. Um and so, uh, oh, and um, Ana Ramirez Gonzalez, as I said, um, is the also the, the illustrator of Maybe Tomorrow. Um, and she uh, attended um, art school in France and studied animation at the California Institute of Art. She grew up in um, Guanajuato, Mexico, and worked for Google and then at Pixar um, before kind of trying Ooh, her hand fancy. at celebration. And I, she's just, her work is so mm-hmm. vivid and delightful. Um, she just, she, she's just a wonderful artist. Um, and so this story um, is not, if you just picked it up, you wouldn't necessarily know without looking at the back matter um, that it's a story about Kamala Harris. Um, it's just, and what I love about it is it's just this really fun kind of traditional picture book arc about two children who notice a problem and decide to solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really sweet story. Um, and I love that that was actually kind of an intentional thing on the part of the author. Um, she says um, in an interview, 
Once I became a mom and we started looking through children's literature for our girls, I felt it was great that in the last three to five years, there's been this burst of literature around historical women. Um, and she lists like kind of like what you mentioned, Seth, like the, the kind of snapshots of, mm-hmm. you know, this person from history and this person from history, right? Like those like mini biographies. And she says, there's a ton of that. I think that's super important. But I also had this feeling like, well, wouldn't it be great if we had actual stories and real characters <laughs> around girls, girls that look like mine, that were black and brown children. Um, and I do think that in some ways it's reductive to say that those stories don't exist at all, right? Like she's not someone who's tr- very steeped in the children's books book world necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I also think, of course, we know that that stories about black and brown children are deeply underrepresented. Yeah. Um, so the more, the better. Um, mm-hmm. So like the, the picture book person in me, like the the academic is like, like, make sure you have, make sure you recognize those. I have recommendations for you. <laughs> Yeah, but at the same time, like she's absolutely right. Like if you act, if you can't hurt to have another one. Yes, exactly. Um, so uh, I'm very excited that that she created this one. I think, and she really has a knack for it. Like this is a very tight um story uh about two children who look outside, and this is what they say. I'm gonna just read the first couple pages. You know what should be out there? Kamala asked her sister Maya. Us, said Maya. A slide, said Kamala. And a swing, Maya added. A playground, they shouted together. Kamala and Maya had an idea. It was a very good idea and a very big idea. They were going to need help. Wouldn't it be great if there was a playground in the courtyard, Maya said. That does sound nice, Mommy agreed. How can we make that happen? Kamala asked. Well, I suppose the first step would be to ask the landlord, the person who owns the building. Um, And so this is a story of kind of how they make this happen. Mm. And it reminds me of some of the sequences in like Sesame Street when they turn like the abandoned lot into a garden, you know, Mm -hmm. using old tires and stuff. Like it's that kind of community all coming together Mm. to create this, this new space which I love. I love um, stories about community that reminds me of like um, the sort of feeling of, what was that the ninth night of Hanukkah that we talked about where like everybody uh, came together and like helped out in some way to make Hanukkah happen. <laughs> exactly. And one yeah. of the refrains in this book is nobody could do everything, but everybody could do something. I love oh, that. Love it. Uh, yeah. Good. This is, you guys, this is really cute. I have read, I read this to my son's classroom. I sent Aww. it to families this month and our book boxes. Like this story is just delightful. Um, so, and like I said, like it's, it reads very much like just a traditional picture book story. Um, but it's about kids being kind of like community organizers and activists. So it's the best of everything. Um, so <laughs> Mala writes a letter, Maya draws a picture, they go to the landlord. And of course the landlord says no. So there's all of these what opportunities to, um, <laughs> but also what a landlord what a landlord classic classic landlords who has the power what is motivating the landlord what's motivating the children like there's all of these opportunities he doesn't want that liability what if someone gets hurt on the slide exactly (laughs) Um, and so um and so they say that was not the answer they wanted they were but they weren't ready to give up That night, the sisters tried to think of ways to turn a no into a yes. 
which is another like really cool refrain, like turning these, turning these no's into yeses and that process. I think like this really, there's some, there's some great intersections here or like not intersections, what am I saying? But um, like there are some um, allusions to these community or like tenants of community organizing, like thinking about who like that, the X and Y axis of like power and like willingness and like how to move people through different quadrants of, of that kind of graph I'm not saying this very well I took a I went to a training on it but I don't know how to talk about (laughs) it right now I can see it in my mind's eye um so I think that there's some really rich opportunities for um lesson plans and conversations in this book um and so they've they talk to the other kids in their building they write kind of a more compelling letter the landlord still says no and he's like (laughs) i thought this was funny the landlord thought about it for less than five seconds a project (laughs) big is expensive we don't have the money for that do your parents know you're here (laughs) they sent Uh, me right (laughs) and so Mm. then Kamala proposes if we ask our parents and do it ourselves can we fix up the courtyard and the landlord shrugs and is like if you can do it yourself sure um and so I won't I won't I I'm tempted to just recap the entire story but I won't but ultimately as you can imagine they go through different kind of um different like phases of awareness building and reaching out and getting resources and then one person happens to say you know i probably could get some scrap lumber and some sand from my construction site because of course this was before we knew that that kind of sand was actually kind of dangerous for kids Um, (laughs) traditional construction sand um, and so they build a sandbox and that kind of begins this cascade of other people realizing the little things they can do to help. And you get all of these wonderful spreads of people like building a teeter totter and planting flowers. And, um, and then they host a, I love that they host this potluck to celebrate. And that is the jumping off point for a new idea around, well, why don't we invest and pool our money and raise some money to buy a slide? And so then more organizing and a bake sale and a sidewalk sale. Um, So great. And, um, and then it ends in this really great way. Um, You know, the landlord like shakes their hands and says, wow, you guys actually did a really good job. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, and she like reflects upon, you know, all the work they did and all the help they had to make this happen. And then it ends, um, you know, what's next, Kamala? And um, Kamala, looking up, said, I'm wondering what the view is like from the roof. <laughs> so, like, there's her next idea. Like, let's I make a rooftop garden. Um, is, this a true, so, is this a true story? It is It is based on a true story. Yes. So this that. is something that, they, that, the, that Kamala and Maya did as children um, in their apartment so complex. And I love, like, I just love because you know i'm listen i'm a queer we like to just barter for everything and i love the idea that like we all have resources and connections and like can get things done if we need to get things done right like you know we all know you like even if you don't have a construction company right you know like 
your uncle who has a friend who like, you know what I mean? Like we all have these connections and we all have these skills that we can use. Um, and like, right. Like me by myself, no, I can't build a playground, but like, if I go to my community, like we can do stuff together, you know? And I really love those kind of community building stories. Exactly. There's this great, um, there's this great book. I think it's by Ed Young. It's called what about me? Mm. Um, and it is exactly that. Like he wants something. I think he actually wants knowledge. Like he goes to this person on a hill and is mm-hmm. like, can you give me knowledge? Um, and the person on the hill is like, well, first I need this. And he's like, well, how am I going to do that? And it's that whole series where like, in order to get the goat, he has to find someone to help fix the goat, you know, the goat pen. And then the person who fixes the goat pen needs help with this other thing. And (laughs) that whole idea of like the community and reaching out to the community and finding, solving one problem, kind of like one of those kidney exchange situations, you know? (laughs) And then he ends up back on the hill finally with this thing that he ultimately needed to bring to the the person sitting at the top of the hill holding all the knowledge. And he's like, here, like I found it. Like now can you please give me like what um about like can you can you please give me knowledge? And at the end he's like, Well, look at everything that you just did. Like you you already have it. Like you already have the knowledge. And it just, it's my, I would be so mad. (laughs) It's just, there's, okay. So there's, um, my my paraphrase makes it sound really frustrating, but it actually sounded very (laughs) profound. And I think in the moment, if it happened to me, I'd be like, Oh wow. Like you just blew my mind. There's, there's this, um, spoof play based on Harry Potter called puffs. That's, Oh my God. It's so good. If you're a Hufflepuff, go watch it um but anyway uh at the end of the the play um i don't know if you're familiar with harry potter i'm gonna spoil it it's old enough i don't care um at the end harry like kind of dies and then comes back to life whatever but when he's in this like middle space it's like purgatory space um dumbledore is there and uh he sort of tells him that like the greatest magic is love and in the spoof like the the another character ends up in this space and it's like headmaster did you did I go to magic school for seven years for you to tell me that you think the greatest magic is love? And like, <laughs> that's how I feel in that moment, what you yeah. just told me. I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> oh my God. Well, anyway. That, yeah. I, that, that makes a lot of sense. But so <laughs> in this instance, Kamala and Maya do leverage, do leverage their community for actual change, not just <laughs> a metaphorical or mystical. Um, <laughs> so, all right. Kamala and Maya's big idea. I highly recommend it. Love it. All right, and that's, that's your last book, right? Yes. All right. It's your time to shine. <laughs> you yeah. waited for however long it's been. <laughs> Listening patiently. <laughs> yeah, no, it was so great. I'm just, um, yeah, as I said, I have like all these, all these books now to check out and it's like so <laughs> wonderful to have options. So Yeah, I, I know. I it's nice to that. live in a time where there actually are options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think. <laughs> something that you mentioned as well is really important in terms of prioritizing um I mean in this case thinking about black authors in particular mm-hmm. and also black illustrators but you know kind yeah. of whatever the topic is I forget the term that you used own voices own voices, own voices. love that yeah 
And I think that's so important. Uh, A thing that I always share about kind of my book process with Dear Black Girls is um, I'm very much a a procrastinator. And so it was a long (laughs) time in the making. And one of the ways that my mom would kind of encourage me to like get my act together um, and get things submitted, she would send me uh, very regularly, probably on like a monthly basis, if not more often, um, these like beautifully illustrated and beautifully written children's books featuring so many black children Mm. and almost every single time they were written by white women. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so it was this really interesting, I think, reflection for me, um, especially in the work that I do kind of in my, my daytime job. For me, this is like a really good example of what happens when we focus on like diversity and inclusion and not equity Mm. yeah and so Mm. right because it's absolutely what like we want people to be diversifying their characters and diversifying the stories that they're sharing but I think there's also this really important piece about who is getting the opportunities to publish um and to be like the narrators or the illustrators of their own stories and experiences so I think that's not not to put you on the spot at all but for folks who might not know do you mind explaining a little bit more about like what equity means Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, in, I guess, like a, a kind of a simple explanation, we often we often compare equity to equality. Mm-hmm. And so I often think if I were to like explain it, you know, on a basic level, equality is about, you know, giving everyone the same thing, or rather, you know, treating everyone equally. And mm-hmm. equity for me is about taking into account people's different experiences and therefore their Mm -hmm. different needs and then responding accordingly so what that means is that people might not always have the exact same thing but we take into Mm -hmm. account what it is that they need what they've experienced what resources they have access to um and so it's it's an approach that is attempting to uh to to shift or to like challenge the imbalance that exists you know in society when it comes to power and access to resources and we we talked a little bit about this last week and there's um for folks who are visual like me there's a a, we actually it's on our instagram page but there's a great um visual representation of the difference between uh equality equity and justice um justice being sort of it's i'm sure you've probably seen this it's like the people watching a baseball game Mm -hmm. um and then justice being you know so they're like right in the first one with equality you know it's people of different heights and ages and so uh, the first one in equality they're all standing um on you know they all have the same box that they're standing on but like some people still can't see or some people have more than they need whatever right Right. and then in the next one they're all they're all given what they need to be able to see over the fence whatever height box and then in the justice one the fence is gone so like that um you know what are the barriers what sort of thank you um so the the barrier itself the systemic barrier is being removed so that Mm -hmm. everyone is able to access it um but i really like that that visual and of the three of those things and thank you for for sharing that very eloquent explanation can i jump in and say that i i i I love your mom and i'm also feeling deep anxiety (laughs) that her solution for getting you to write was that she would send you books to say if you don't hurry up and do this (laughs) white woman is going to do it first (laughs) exactly exactly it's really shown us um i love my mom but um yeah that image i think is is so great and i use it often and i also i also 
critique it as well, which I'll I'll share. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. Because yeah. it was a critique that was shared with me, so I always like pass it on now. It's such a helpful one for kind of illustrating, you know, uh, again in a basic way what we're talking about. Um, there's a version that I like to use um, where the third frame, instead of uh, justice or liberation or a few others that I've seen or freedom, um, the third frame is reality. So it's a little less on the optimistic side and it just shows the reality. And so you have like, I think it's like the tallest person who is now standing on like eight, eight boxes. Um, And the smallest person is like underground. um, Which I think just like, again, speaks, you know, to the reality. Um, Yeah. I see this now. I'm going to share it on Instagram. (laughs) So I really, I really, you know, love that response but also like within that the the critique that I think is really helpful um one just like looking at the way that the person is actually underground challenges like the myth that we are all starting from the Mm -hmm. same place which Mm -hmm. is like this level ground which is not true um yeah and the other the other part of the critique as well is so there are some versions where like the fence is completely gone which is great there are others where it's like a chain link fence so they can see through the fence, mm-hmm. but also kind of the critique of, you know, if we bring back this piece around inclusion, um, you know, we don't just want to, you know, get rid of that fence, so to speak. Like we want people to be in the game, you know, and also participating and also have a seat. And so mm, yeah. in the image, like they're still kind of on the outside while everyone's enjoying the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I appreciate that kind of, you know, just going a little bit deeper in terms of like, okay, what what does it look like and envisioning these worlds? Because I don't think it's just about taking down all of the walls or all of the barriers. Like, what is it that we're going to create after that? Um, yeah. I and so that. just offering that because it's it's something that was shared no, with me. You. And I think it's great to be able to be like okay cool here's like a good step but we're not done just because we took down the fence mm-hmm. um, I love that yeah but uh yeah I'm like so happy to be here and Dear Black Girls is is the children's book that I that I um recently published the the 8th of February was our publication date which was like so exciting um and the book originally uh, was a, a poem, a spoken word poem, and so it transformed into a children's book, um, and is now accompanied with like the most beautiful illustrations by Kesna Dells. So I'm just so grateful that it's out in the world and that people are, you know, ordering and receiving their copies, and um, and also people of like all ages and also all genders. Of course, the book is especially written for for Black girls, but um, it is one, you know, for everyone to to experience. So I just feel a lot of gratitude. Yeah, awesome. I'm so glad it's doing so well. We were talking a little bit about this earlier, but it's mm-hmm. so exciting. <laughs> yeah, and and also, you know, for me, it was so important to work with a black illustrator mm-hmm. um, and a young black girl as well. And so that for me has been a really special part of the process um, to 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 work so collaboratively with someone and for us to kind of collectively bring this you know to life and with the incredible support of autonomy press or publisher um it, it's been a learning experience because both for Kesna and I it's our first our first uh mm. book our first publication 
but for metonymy, it's also their first children's book. And so we've oh, really wow. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. done a ton of learning. Um, and they've had to do so much learning as well on their end. So I just feel, yeah, honored to be part of this process um, and for the response to be so incredible, right? Because I think we really all kind of dove right into it and, and hope for the best. Will you tell us a little bit, um, like, uh, will you tell us a little bit more beyond your, your mother's um, incentivizing uh, <laughs> book sharing? Will you tell us a little bit more about the process? Like, how did you guys, how did you um, uh, and your illustrator find each other? How did you find the publishing house? Like, what, give it, give us the whole scoop. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a really kind of special story. Um as to kind of how it all came to be. But the poem itself I wrote in the summer of 2015, um, which is also the summer that I started writing poetry. And um, so it was, it was like one of the first ones that I've written. Uh, and I wrote, the, I wrote the poem in response to, um, I'd say really kind of heightened uh, violence that was being depicted in media, um, of course, towards Black people in Black communities more broadly, but particularly um, Black girls and women. And so I wrote the piece really from a place of of hurting, like as a Black girl, as a Black woman, mm. um, and wanting to just kind of offer some love. And so we, we talk about, you know, Dear Black Girls being a love letter. Um, and so that was how it kind of originally came to be, which was in 2015. And then fast forward a few months I um, was invited to to perform at this show um, so my friend Kamala Mackerel who is also an author and artist uh, they just published this incredible book of poetry called Zomfem and they they used to curate this show in Montreal called the self-love cabaret um, and it what is it was like always around Valentine's Day, so it was kind of like a um, what's the word? Not critique, but like an anti Valentine's Day mm-hmm. event, but like focused mm-hmm. on self love, which was so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I performed at this event, and it just so happened that Metonymy Press was tabling in the back of the room, and so after I had performed the poem. I shared that, you know, one day I would love for this to, to become a children's book. That wasn't like the original intention when I wrote it, but they happened to be there. And then a friend was in the audience, um, my friend Devin, and they introduced me to Matami Press because they were good friends. And, you know, at the time, Matami was like, we've never done children's books and it's not in our, you know, plan. Um, but but bless Devin, who I think ha- played a really big role in convincing them, um, <laughs> you know, to, to say yes. And and then from there, we just, we connected um, and they reached out to me to say that we're really interested. And that was also new because I, I didn't know anything about the publishing process, but I was, <laughs> I was like, I was pretty sure I'm supposed to like reach out to publishers. And so that was just so incredible to, to yeah. have like a publishing company express interest um and I also it was very important for me to work with a small publishing company so they're Mm -hmm. a small independent local publishing company here in Montreal um who have just published like incredible 
beautiful works over the past few years. Um, and so it was really a joy to, to work with them, especially knowing, you know, how special this book was to me. And also, um, you know, I've heard so many stories about people's experiences working with publishers and also editors. And just, I didn't want to have to to negotiate um, yeah. a lot of the book. Like I can understand, you know, like some elements of the, of the editing process, et cetera. But um, I didn't want to have to negotiate. I didn't want to have to, to, to like shift. Compromise. To compromise. Yeah. Because yeah, I was very clear about who the audience was and who I wanted that to be. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like I just totally lucked out when it, when it comes to working <laughs> with a publisher and they've just been so incredible. Um, and to awesome. what degree, if any, did the did the poem itself kind of change over, like from that first um, from that first uh, reading to what what now is in bound in the in the book itself? So really slight slight edits. Um, I added I added this kind of I added the introduction piece. So like the first part is new, um, which is kind of like an opening into the poem. But then other than that, really small, really small edits. Like if I like the only one that I can really think of, um, which is like minor, but for me is is an important shift. The line used to say, um, just pulling it up. So there's there's a line that says, Dear black girls. I love the way your body curves like your mama's and hers, ancestry running through your veins, reminding you each and every day of who and what you come from. And so I, this is like the, the, the line that's in the book, but originally ancestry said DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a shift that I had made also just like with my own learning. Over, as I said, it's been like a few years, but I also wanted to just, uh one be mindful to what like how relationships exist how families exist and mm-hmm. then also thinking about like the power of ancestry which for me is a lot more reflective um and speaks to like the relationships kind of within um and beyond black communities more yeah. so than this idea of dna which you know can be of course important um but it's not it's not everything. But I think about like ancestry is something that that speaks to more of an expansiveness in terms of like how yeah. we are connected to each other. So mm-hmm. there were like slight changes like that. Um, mm-hmm. And then also I learned actually from both of you today the term back matter, which I Googled. <laughs> uh, and so I guess part of the back matter as well, I have I have a there's a note or a letter at the at the end of the book that kind of just explains a little bit more about the process um, and also kind of an explanation of, of how like the range of black girls that exist. Um, And that part I especially like as well, because it, you know, as we've spoken about, like I, I want this book, like it is a book that you can read in one sitting, but I want people to return to it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think even just, you know, the letter at the back, which is like talking about, you know, black girls coming in all different shapes and sizes and shades 
um, different ethnic backgrounds and religions, spiritualities, different understandings of sexuality and gender. And so I want people to also like use that as an opportunity to have conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so those are some of the things that were kind of like added onto the poem, but for the most part, uh, the poem in the book is the one that, that was written in, in 2015 and the one that people have heard. That's awesome. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. And um, did, um, did your publisher find, um, pair you with, forgive me, I'm trying to. Oh, uh, Kesna, the illustrator. No, yeah. um, no, I, I connected with Kesna. So I had like seen her, her art, um, I think on social media, uh, potentially on kind of like event posters, but I'm pretty sure that um, social media. And so I was just so drawn to the color and the vibrancy. And, you know, when you see Kesna's art, you're like, oh, that's Kesna, um, which I just love. And and so I, and again, she, she was a young um, black girl, young black woman, which is, which was also really important to me in terms of like who I wanted to work with and her style also there's like a there's like a youthfulness to her her art and to her painting which I wanted to really be kind of captured in the book um and throughout the book and so Mm -hmm. I think she was just like the perfect choice and you know especially for a children's book the illustrations are just as if not more important than the words and so she has totally just brought it to life and to the next level and yeah it's it's like I just look at it every day and I'm just like so blown away that that it exists (laughs) yeah it's that her style is just has this boldness to it Mm -hmm. Um, yeah that's really like you said like very distinctively her style yes yes so um I just want to check in because it's getting close to time Mm -hmm. um and I know uh, Shanice, you still have books to talk about, right? Yeah, maybe I can um, <laughs> tell me, but I can. Do, do any of you have to like go right at two or well at the end of the hour for Rebecca? I don't. I'm I'm fine to okay. stay, but also I know I'm I'm sorry, Shanice. I'm 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 inquisit. I'm interviewing. No, you. Oh my gosh, no! I'm your book and your book. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh my gosh, I'm so glad um, you did. It's been interesting and good. I just wanted to make sure it's okay with you. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I can. Uh... I'm muting myself, and Shanice, I'm letting you take the phone. <laughs> <laughs> no, good. so all that being said, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear about about your books. Now that we heard about your book, yes. let's hear about your book. Yeah, it has to. <laughs> anything more you want to share about your book, of course, without my leading questions. So, oh, yes, take... no, it's it's great. Thank you. No, I, I'm happy for the opportunity to plug to plug it. But um, <laughs> yes, please just, you know, check it out and support the project. And, and yeah, but we're, we're just so thrilled. Um, but I do have a few recommendations and it was like great to hear both of yours as well. And I, I feel like I was going back and forth, you know, with a few options. So I, I have a few that I'll talk about and then just a few that I'll do some quick plugs for. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we always have honorary mentions. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because uh, there's just so, so many. So the first one actually um, is also a newly published book um, called Movers, Shakers, History Makers, mm-hmm. the, Can- the Canadian Black History Book of Rhymes. 
So very similarly, it's another ABC book and a rhyming book as well, which is super cool. Um, and I just got to hear it for the the first time on Friday. So it's super fresh. And this one is written by Akila Newton, who is a Montreal-based artist and activist. Um, sorry, author and activist. Um, although an artist as well in her, in her own way. And she is, is the former author um, of, or the author of other books, including Big Dreamers, which was an activity book based on Canadian Black history. And so this new edition is kind of building on that one, um, but it's a kind of a hardcover book um, and, mm. and bringing in the, the rhyming and spoken word. So it's just so incredible um, and particularly important, you know, in, in my kind of local context where so much of, so much of black history is erased from, as we were talking about the educational systems and curriculum um, and if we do get to include any Black history, it's almost exclusively focused on the U.S. U.S., yeah. Um, yeah. This is and, awesome. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. And even more focused on, like, very few people. So, like, Rosa Parks mm-hmm. and Martin Luther King Jr. Harriet Tubman. And Harriet Tubman. <laughs> um, Who, don't get me wrong, are awesome people, but, like, there's totally, more than three people. <laughs> totally. And also, like, yeah. very curated um Mm-hmm. curated versions of those people I think which also really again contributes to the erasure um of their contributions of their activism um so I think that also just you know speaks volume so I always appreciate one opportunities to learn about local history because I think of course we need to be critical to both the local and the global but there's something really I think telling about how in the Canadian context, specifically um, in the Quebec context, so much of that history is erased. And so I just really appreciate all of the work that Akila has put into this book to highlight, um, you know, folks who have contributed to the history of, of Canada. Um, I'm also seeing that she has Big Dreamers, the Canadian Black History Activity Book for Kids. Mm-hmm, exactly. So that's the one. Oh my God. That's the awesome. activity book, which is really cool. So I have a copy of of that. Um, but she was explaining on Friday at an event that um, spe- specifically libraries were really interested in the book, but they were like, we can't have activity books because, of course, kids are going to write in them. And mm-hmm. so this was her kind of COVID project, if you will. Um, <laughs> we all had one. <laughs> yeah. Whether, you know, making bread or publishing a new book, um, <laughs> whatever works. And so really lovely that she um, has been able to kind of create this and offer offer something so incredible. Um, mm-hmm. And it's quite, it's quite long, um, which, you know, is not a problem. Like, and you can, again, you can do it in, in one sitting, I think, depending on the age um, and not just age, but like attention span, um, of, of mm-hmm. the, the reader. I know for myself, like I would also have a hard time, so it's not just about age. Um, mm-hmm. but again, I love that it's a book that you can come back to. It's a book where you can like choose a letter, choose a person or kind of a theme, you know, do some learning, do some research and then come back to it and choose another one, which is so awesome. Um, and so for example, 
you know, the letter J, um, she highlights Jean Augustine, who um, is in many ways, you know, responsible for Black History Month becoming kind of recognized formally in, in Canada. Um, mm. and so I'll just kind of read, read the letter for, for Jean Augustine. So the letter J. So Jean Augustine is a woman of great honor, worth and admiration. Canada recognizes Black History Month due to her determination. Mm-hmm. In 1995, with a unanimous vote of 350 to zero, a law was passed, making February a month that celebrates Black History in Canada at last. Mm. That's like a small, a small excerpt. And so she does that, um, you know, for, of course, all the letters. There's also one, you know, for the Underground Railroad. So it's not just people. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the letter U, the Underground Railroad led enslaved people to the north. Conductors guided them to safety, taking many trips back and forth. Passengers, also known as cargo, were the people who escaped to safe houses or depots where their freedom would take shape. Um, so again, opportunities for learning. I think, you know, with the Underground Railroad in particular, a great, uh, great is an interesting word. It's a good time or a good opportunity to like have a conversation about the Underground Railroad, about the transatlantic slave trade, about mm-hmm. Canada's role and participation in the slave mm-hmm. trade and in slavery, which again connects back to the erasure. So there's this like big narrative, of course, that Canada was and continues to be this free, safe, safe and sacred place. Yeah. Um, you know, where all of the bad things happened across, you know, this border. We didn't um, do it. In the US, exactly. And so, <laughs> yeah. and like, great opportunity to kind of, okay, let's talk about that. Like, so let's see what happened here. And yes, yeah. a lot of people came here, but what happened when they did arrive? And what was And even, like, that? I think it's interesting to talk about, like, the current, you know, um, political climate of Canada and, like, how people often see Canada as, like, the safe haven, but, like, it is not perfect. Absolutely. And- so don't get me wrong, as someone who came from the US and is now in Quebec, like I, I love it here and I think that a lot of things are better, but it's not this like idealistic place that a lot of people make it out to be for mm-hmm. sure. So it could be also an opportunity to talk about that and and even to talk about like how you know, there are like these kinds of ideas, almost myths that we have about like certain places being, you know, whenever you're in a place you don't like, some other places but it's like the grass is always greener, right? Um, but everyone everywhere has its problems um you know obviously although they might be greater or different than different problems but Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so you know circling back that idea of also did I just buy this book right now yes (laughs) I love that I'm so excited about well I can never find books about Canada and like even the activities I do they're always like USA USA like even I was trying to do like um like a I was doing transportation I do like themes every week with the kids and I was doing transportation and I could only find like American road signs I was like no I need Quebec road signs I had to draw them (laughs) I was like come on man so I'm I'm always excited to find like Quebec or Quebec I'm not oh my god Canada is what I'm trying to say Mm -hmm. specific things yeah that's amazing it's making me realize yeah like if I thought that my my education and knowledge of history like you you know for in the United States was kind of lacking. I'm like, oh wow, I need this book. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's so important. And like for myself, I can tell you a lot more about the US civil rights movement than I can about mm-hmm. almost anything in, in Canada, which I think yep. is telling in terms of what history and whose history I learned. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so would definitely recommend recommend that one. And again, it's great for you know, once again, it's it's a children's book, but it's it's great for everybody of all ages. Mm-hmm. Um, considering if you moved through, you know, I would say an educational system in North America, it's very likely that that you didn't quite receive the fullness of the history. Um, mm. There will be names in this book that will be new to you. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. Same for me. Almost like a large proportion of them are, are actually new names for me. Okay. Um, and an- another thing that I'll just kind of plug in in connection to, to learning about Canadian Black history. So Dorothy Williams is um, an incredible Black historian in Quebec. Um, mm. you know, I consider her one of, one of the experts on Canadian black history and Canadian history in general. And she created the ABCs of Canadian black history toolkit. And so it is a, um, Rebecca, you'll like this. It's a, it's a customized or a custom built toolkit that is classroom ready, um, for mm-hmm. elementary school all the way up until university. And so it's like this incredible resource that's been created. And part of the resource is also like a deck of cards. So again, A to Z of people and events mm. or themes. Um, this is so cool. And each one also has like a, sh- a short little kind of poem. Um, but that is also an incredible resource that I, I encourage people to check out. They're currently working on, on bringing it uh, into like a virtual version into mm-hmm. an online version, of course, um, given COVID and those restrictions. But um, oh, yeah, this is so cool. Dorothy there's Williams cards. Is, yeah, there's posters yeah. and yeah, really thought out. And it's in. I know, um, especially for like the toolkit part, it's been it was it was designed and created in collaboration with the Quebec curriculum. So it really oh, is like awesome. classroom ready. And I think also there's expansions for the Ontario curriculum. So it's really taking into account like what is it that teachers, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote have to be or should be kind of teaching in alignment with the curriculum. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's like space, of course, to, to customize and to, to put your own unique spin on it. But it's, it's great because it's adaptable depending on yeah. the, the grade or the age of the student. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Being told what I have to teach is why I wasn't a teacher. Right, I know. The <laughs> I became a nanny. I was like, I'll say what I'm teaching this week. <laughs> yeah, I had a hard time. Um, I started teaching like in the kind of No Child Left Behind scripted yeah. curriculum, which completely killed my spirit for teaching, actually, which is why I ran away to a different city and did a master's program instead. Mm. But when I came back and started teaching, I really struggled with like following. I was like, I will, I'll get the kids. I, I know the standard, this is before common core, but it's like, I know what they need to know. Can I just teach it to them in my own way? Because yeah, don't tell me how to teach. Did not incorporate, um, did not leave a lot of room for like finding this kit and then suddenly just taking that on and doing yeah. that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I remember like one of the most fun <laughs> experiences I had as a teacher was like, like sometimes like don't get me wrong I'm not great at just like which is bad for me as a teacher but like I'm not always great at thinking on my feet and like coming up with these amazing ideas of like how to teach kids things when they're not getting it but the one Mm -hmm. thing that was just like a breakthrough moment was like I had this one second grade class for a full week the teacher was out for something for a week and so I had them for a week when I was substitute teaching and uh we I was trying to teach like different units of measurement 
mm-hmm. and like why we have standard units of measurement. And I have, thank, I mean, the classroom is clean, <laughs> but like, thank goodness it was. But I literally was like, okay, everybody come up here. We're going to, we're going to see how many children's length the chalkboard is. And they just like lied down <laughs> and we like saw how many kids. And I was like, do you think that's a standard unit of measurement? Like, no, everybody's a different size. Right. So right. Like, but it was just so funny. And like, right. That wasn't in the curriculum book that they left me. Like no, it didn't say no. line, put your students on the floor, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but it worked and it was fun and it got them engaged. And like, there's no, you know, I just think like, that's not what t- teaching, like we were talking before, like that intersectionality of like creativity is like so important. And, um, you yes. know, when you're doing, especially when you're teaching and it's just like, it's nice that, you know, we're maybe hopefully getting a little bit away from this like weird model that we developed during the industrial revolution that was like meant to pump out workers and not right. like creative people. Right. <laughs> One concern is that a lot of the people going into the classroom now as teachers grew up under the model of like scripted curriculums, which mm-hmm. does mean that they didn't have a lot of maybe modeling of these more creative um yeah. But but then that's why it's wonderful that things like the ABC project and everything that Learning for Justice is doing, like providing scaffolds to help mm-hmm. teachers bring this sort of information into the classroom. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, totally. back off soapbox, muting self. Take it away, Shanice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, just my last, the last one that I want to, to talk about or plug. So not, you know, again, as we said, explicitly um, related to history or Black History Month, but uh, another Montreal-based artist and author uh, and graphic designer uh, named Danielle Mural Cox. She wrote a book called My Hair that I recently got to pick up. Um, I'm not going to be able to read any excerpts because I'm like currently doing renovations and it's in a box. Oh, no worries. I like tried to find it. And I couldn't. But um, it's such a beautiful, again, a picture book, uh, you know, aimed for kids. But I think I personally think children's books are actually like books in disguise for adults um, yeah we talk about this all the time <laughs> yeah we have like <laughs> so much learning and unlearning to do but it's just such a great uh book and the illustration she like wrote and illustrated it herself of course and um illustrating all the different ways that that uh hair exists like for black children and black girls in particular um and so I I encourage that one as well because hair is political and hair is Mm -hmm. historical and so I think again it's a great opportunity to open up conversations about hair um and about the history of you know hair broadly but specifically thinking about the history of hair within the context of black communities and black girls and women and how that to this day continues to be um policed uh and Mm -hmm. you know and then there's like so much work or so much learning that can happen that's both, again, present, but of course informed by the past. Um, I'm thinking about, uh, there's someone named Professor Wendy Green who is like leading the the hashtag like free the hair movement. And so mm-hmm. she's like developing legislation and law things. I don't know all the terms, um, but around hair discrimination, which like to this day, is still happening and still affecting black people. Um, And so, you know, such a great opportunity as well, of course, to see representation and to see yourself kind of reflected in the different styles that can exist. Also great, of course, for, for kids of all races to be able to like have um, those reflections available and then to be able to ask questions. Um, 
but I think, again, it's such a good kind of learning opportunity or an opening for a learning opportunity to have those conversations. So, yeah, absolutely. And I see, um, I'm looking at the illustrations and I see like there's people of all different like skin tones and there's like mm-hmm. some the pillow. Like it's really, it looks really awesome. Yeah. And the board book. Yes. 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 To my little shifter board book collection. Yeah. <laughs> love, love a board book. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's, that's so important, you know, especially of course thinking about representation and it's like, how do we create spaces for dialogue and for more questions? And mm-hmm. because so many of us as adults have, have not, you know, gotten the access to information. Um, we often kind of respond and like project shame onto kids who like have questions. And so yeah. I think that's so important that, you know, you can see someone who like looks differently than you or, maybe people that you are used to seeing and you can like ask questions um and again going back to that piece around like the discomfort of being like oh I'm not sure or let's look this up together um yeah we talk about this a lot like never like shushing kids if they're like asking about you know someone's differences or something it's just like yeah like we can we can teach that like there's an appropriate moment and like maybe it's you know not great to be like why is that person in a chair with wheels like yeah. loudly across the street but like we can teach like the appropriateness of time and place to ask questions but like it's always okay to ask questions, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that when we when we get embarrassed and we're like, "Oh shh," then that shows there's something wrong with that, totally, right? Totally. That's what that's implying, even if that's not what we mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, I think that that's so important, and like that's why I think it's important to have books right from the get go, great board books like this that have that kind of representation already built in. So, like when you know the kids I nanny, for example, right, and they go outside and they see a black person, they're not going to be like, "That's the first black person I've ever seen." Like, no. Right. We were reading a book. There was a black person in it the other day. Like, that's not weird at all. Um, You know, which is why representation is so important. Um, You know, I also want to shout out Shanice, your book has such fantastic representation, like even on the cover, Mm. like there's ability, different ability uh, representation, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like just, I, I really, I think that's just phenomenal. Yeah. That was like really important for us in terms of thinking about, and one thing that we keep saying, right, we wanted, we wanted and want people to open up the pages or even just looking at that cover and either see themselves or, you know, someone that they know um, mm-hmm. or maybe someone that they don't know, you know, and then again, it's like that opportunity <laughs> to like ask a question. Oh, why is this person in a wheelchair or why does this person have a breathing tube? Like, what does that mean? Why is this person wearing a hijab um, or might not know the term hijab, right? So I think it's, again, it's exciting to think about like how to offer these opportunities for yeah. for youth who are already so curious, already asking the questions. Um, and I think it's a good, you know, message to, to parents and educators and adults who, you know, are in relationship with little ones to be like, okay, like you can engage in this learning as well. Like you can also yeah. like sit in that curiosity as well, you know? And I think it's interesting because it it just was so funny and timely that um, uh, my friend had introduced me to your book and I like the next day I'm on a lot of like kid lit like Facebook groups and someone was like does anyone have any books that represent kids with breathing tubes and I was like I know one now (laughs) like and it was just like incidental you know they were looking for like incidental or really anything because there's so such few uh so few books that have that kind of representation but it was so funny I was like hey I just found one yesterday here you go I love that yeah my gosh incidental representation is yeah so important 
Yeah, especially um, when it's not, like, the center of the story. Like, it's yeah. like, here's a character, and here's, like, a thing about them. Cool. Because that's, like, how people are. We have lots of different things about us that exactly. are just exist and don't need to, like, my whole day isn't about having narcolepsy. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes it is. Right. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's, like, I'm just a person, and this is a thing that I ever, whatever, like, all the different things about us, it's just, like, and sometimes it is important to have that book about that and, like, why it's okay and what mm-hmm. it is and whatever. But, like, we have most of those already for a lot of things <laughs> We're right. we're ready to move on to like, we're just living our lives and this is part of our life. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Well, anyway, um, real quick, do you want to tell us the other, the other books uh, that you had? Those were, those are the, the ones that I want to plug. Also, I, I, I will just say, um, oh, I thought you had some like honorary mentions or something. That was, that was Dr. Dorothy Williams, the toolkit. Oh, okay. We didn't get into, Great. but I would also just recommend, a is for activist, probably one mm-hmm. that we've spoken about on this. On yeah, the but in Santa Nagara. Yes, and also yeah. just so yeah. much of, of their work. But um, this is like a, a book that I, I like to buy for like the babies in my life, um, mm-hmm. which again is just such a good learning opportunity where, you know, each letter you can just like pause and be like, okay, let's like look up what is happening here or what they're talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Again, both for the little ones and you know, adults who, who they might be reading along with. Um, so yeah, had to also plug that one. We, yeah. we include in Asanto Nagara's um, The Wedding Portrait oh, in our Civil Disobedience uh, box. And it also has just, it touches, it weaves kind of these ideas about activism and civil disobedience mm-hmm. using key kind of moments from history in a way that like you, you get an understanding but yeah it's also like an it's also a great jump jumping off point for learning more about these specific moments yeah um, in time so that mother he is everything he puts out i buy immediately <laughs> <laughs> also a lovely human uh we went back and forth a little while about him being on the podcast and it never happened but um oh, was lovely to talk to you I know one day it was like, I'll wait for the right topic. And then right. it just, it's so funny. This happens all the time where like people will apply. And then a year later, I'll be like, do you want to be on the podcast? And they're like, oh, I forgot I applied for this. <laughs> I'm like, well, I was just waiting for the perfect topic for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. At the um, like the Oakland, there's a children's book festival that takes place in Oakland every year around the holidays. Oh, cool. I was able to go not this past holiday season, but the season before and just met so many incredible creators. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you both so much for your time, Shanice. Thank you for joining us. It's oh, been like, honestly, such a pleasure. pleasure. Like literally I'm like, it's been over two hours and like, I could keep talking to you. Yes. Yes. I'd love to. Yeah. There's so many, um, so many angles we can talk about and, yeah. I think it's yeah, so good sure. that this podcast exists and totally I think is is such an offering, you know, for people who are like wanting to engage in conversations with, with young ones. So thank you for your work. Yeah, thank you, thank you for being a part of it mm-hmm. and for your work as well. Um all right. Well, thank you both so much. And Rebecca, I'll see you next time at Janice. Well, maybe, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> all right. And remember, stay rad.